This week, you know, I, I, I've spent a lot of time praying this week and just getting things laid out and how I, how I felt like things needed to go. And there was just stuff burning on my heart. I've had several conversations this week and I couldn't shake it. And I tried really hard to shake it because as you guys know, we do series. I like the series. I like knowing what I'm doing. I like having it all laid out. I like having it all planned ahead of time and all of that. And none of that happened this week. And it was driving me insane. And I just couldn't get away from it. Every time I would go and I'm driving somewhere, I've got all these things going through my head that had nothing to do with what I'd planned on teaching and literally this morning as I got up I'm like okay this is it this is where I've you know I've got to succumb to this and this isn't what I plan but I think it's important and I think we need to understand that you know um, what my plans are aren't always God's plans but certainly we need to be prepared for that type of thing but here's what we've got uh, several conversations I've had in the last couple of weeks. I'm just going to run these things by you to give you an idea of what we're talking about. The church is at a crossroads, and this is why I'm saying this. When we, the, the problem we have in America is that we had a once very powerful church. It was the beacon of society. It was the cornerstone in every community. The churches were there. They were what was looked to for moral guidance, for spiritual understanding, helped to be taught the scriptures, things like that. And the church has lost its way. What we do today, as you guys know, I, I mean, just this week, Wednesday night, I fly out to Denver. I'm going to an apologetics conference out there. I'll fly back Saturday night, be with you all Sunday morning, and then I think Sunday evening or something, we head out of town again. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't even keep it all straight, but here's the deal. I'm going out there, and I'm teaching these apologetic things. I go, and I talk to parents whose kids have left the church, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. What do we do? What do we say? And we help put resources in their hand. We help them overcome objections. How do we know God is real? How do we know any of this is even true? Why are we doing this? And what we call apologetics today, we used to call discipleship because this was all taught in the church. Not just what to believe, that God is good and the devil is bad, but why we believe that and how we know it's true. And we've lost that somewhere along the way. And because of that, we've got young people leaving the church by the droves. We've got a, a country full of churches that are sitting there, that are sitting there. They're going through their Bible lesson for the day. They'll stand up, they'll sit down, they'll sing a hymn, and, that, and they'll go apart their life. And there is no relational side with God. And it, what they've done is they've gone back under the old system and the fact that God is behind this veil that you can never enter into, you can never experience, you can never have this relationship with, and the only one that can minister to him is the priest that's it we've gone backwards and yet we should be going forward because if Jesus was the veil that was torn and when his body was broken and shed for you and I then we now have access to go boldly into the throne room of God but we don't why don't we you ever thought about that there's so much about the body of Christ today that is broken. We've got a bunch of broken bones in the body of Christ. And I think we would all agree with that. I mean, the church has issues. And I mean the church overall. Not like we're a perfect church by any means. I am not trying to... Uh, uh, make that statement at all because we have problems here just like we do everywhere else you know why we have problems because there's people involved you put people involved with anything we'll screw it up real quick god said hey do it this way we're like eh, maybe not i'll try it this other way so when we get that we've got a problem but the reason we have a problem is we got a lot of people who know a lot about scripture and they know a lot about God, and they know a lot about church, and they know a lot about church history. They also know a lot about politics, but those two things can never intertwine. But we've got a problem. When James won, I have no slides for you guys today, obviously. I'm actually reading out of my physical Bible, and I have handwritten notes and just scriptures written down. I haven't done this in 20 years, guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm pulling a Janet Griffin today, so there you go. She does it better than me, but pray for me. Actually, I'll pray for you. You're all the one who's got to deal with this, so here we go. 
James chapter 1 and verse 21 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But here we go, verse 22. This is what I want you to see. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For when he observes himself, he goes away and immediately he forgets what kind of man he was. And guys, what are we talking about here? We got a pews are full of hearers today. Full of them. There are hearers all over the place. You can't throw something without hitting a hearer. We don't have a lot of doers. We've lost the idea of what we're supposed to do. Because the, the process of evangelism and discipleship and ministry in general has been placed upon the church structure in a way that it was never intended to be. That is not what Jesus laid out before he said, he didn't, before he ascended to heaven, he didn't look at the disciples. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to set up a board of advisors. I need you to get your 501c3. That's important. Got to have that. And then I need you guys to sit there and argue about what color carpet you should get in these buildings. And if you're going to paint the walls, you need a separate committee that's going to decide on the color. And if the two match, great, that's wonderful, but it doesn't have to. But don't let the two cross. I mean, he didn't tell any of that. What did he say? You need to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You need to make disciples of all nations. Who is he talking to? People, not structures. We've got a church full of hearers. We've got very few doers because we don't know what that means. We have placed the burden of evangelism and discipleship on the church structure and not the individual who is the church. We are the church. We are the temple of God, and we don't do it. We're always waiting on the pastor to go and minister to that person. When did that start, and why did that start? Because the last time I checked, the same Holy Spirit in him is in you if you're a believer. Same one, not different. There's no, you know what the difference is between you and I, me being a pastor? And I'm not trying to get on anybody. You guys don't do this here necessarily. I'm not trying to say any of that. I'm saying in general because I can't get past these conversations I've had. The difference between me and you is the calling. That's it. That's it. Where I get my paycheck is irrelevant to me. The calling of God in my life is what matters. Where I get paid has nothing to do with it. As you guys know, and I've told you this before, I was in ministry for 12 years before I ever got a paycheck for it. And prior to that, I was involved in church ministry most of my uh, young life. I was always doing something. I mean, I even cleaned the bathrooms at one point. They only asked me once. I got done with it. They said, we'll get somebody else. Don't blame them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it's, it's, it was on purpose. There's no question. Oh, like, well, if I leave this smudge here, maybe they'll never ask again. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But what happens? We come to church, and what do we expect? We're like, Pastor, feed me. Feed me, feed me. you got to give me the word. Feed me, feed me, feed me. Okay, well, let's look at that. Because what happens is when the sermon's really good, like, boy, that was good meat today. That was good. And the sermon's okay. You're like, eh, it was a nice snack. And if it was really bad, you just say nothing and go about your day, right? But is that what the food is? Is that, I mean, could we possibly be wrong in this? Could we have a misconception of what feeding the sheep actually means? Let's look at John chapter 4. Because I want to show you guys something today. This has always bugged me. I'm going to start in verse 27 just to catch a little context here. John chapter 4, verse 27. It says, at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Remember, that's a big no-no. You did not talk 
to these women. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Who's the woman he's talking to? It's the woman from Samaria, the Samaritan woman. You guys know the story. Called her out and said, Hey, this guy you're with, he ain't your husband. He had five other ones. Okay? Let's back up a little bit. So, she said, could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one that we were waiting for? Remember, the Samaritans were the half-Jews. They were kind of in and half in and half out. They were not looked favorably upon by the Jewish people. Verse 30, then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Now, if you hear that verse, what are you thinking? He's packing candy or something. He's got some, I've got food to eat of which you do not know. Did you guys ever watch MASH back in the day? Okay, I'm going back. I loved that show. I don't know why. It broke my heart when they took it off Netflix, although I became a lot more productive when they took it off Netflix. But, but there was an episode where they become stranded and they have no food or anything like that. But one guy's got a bag full of candy bars. And he's not sharing until they accidentally find him. He's like, oh, I forgot I had these. You know, one of those kind of things. That's what's going through my head here. He said, I've got food of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Fair question. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, now watch this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What is the food? To do the will of who? The Father. And to finish His work. We, he was not being a hearer. He was being a doer. What feeds you? Doing. You guys catching this? Y'all are staring at me like goose in a snowstorm, deer in headlights, whatever you want to say. This, guys, we've got to get this. You should not come here to just hear a sermon and leave unchanged. We come in... I want to teach you the word. I want to help build the foundation. But then we go out. But if we do nothing with it, we are starving. Not physically, obviously. Spiritually speaking, when we do nothing with what we've heard, we are starving. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 5. I know this is weird. You may have to turn in your Bible. I don't have the slides up. I apologize. Hebrews chapter 5. Some of you have caught this before. Oh, let's start in verse 12. Now, before this, in the context of it, they're laying out the difference of the high priest, how Jesus was the high priest, or getting ready for all that, the qualifications of the priesthood, and how you know who he was. He was a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We've talked about that in the series that we've been on, okay? But verse 12 says, though by this time you ought to be teachers, so whoever the writer is, we assume Paul, is scolding these people. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Let's back up again. What are we talking about here? We're talking about food, right? The feeding, the doing, right? Okay, so we've got here, you've got milk and you've got meat. You've got a comparison, right? I've got a six-month-old. You know what he's not eating right now? Meat, which is great. There's more for me. But the day is coming we'll have to share my steak with him. And then we'll just get his own. But he's on milk right now. 
That's all he eats. He's happy as can be. Doesn't have a care in the world. All he has to do is whine a little bit. Somebody's feeding the guy. It does not work that way when you get older. For you young guys in the back, just so you know. Okay? Whining does not make your wife get you a sandwich. Doesn't work. Sometimes asking doesn't work. Sometimes cash doesn't work. Just remember this. Write that down. I know it. I know it. It's tough. Anyway, that's a side note. But he, all he's got to do is whine. He gets it. Why? And then you have to constantly, he goes through this entire cycle. But he doesn't have care in the world. Why? Everything is being handed to him. He doesn't have to do nothing. He eats. He sleeps. He's got a bathroom on him all the time. And when he's done with that bathroom, someone else takes care of the problem. It's a beautiful thing, right? It makes you wonder why that system ends when you're two. Why can't it go forever? That would be awkward. Let's not go there. Okay. But he's got nothing to worry about. And what's he, he's telling us, like, by this time, in other words, there's some, there's some time that has elapsed from the time they've heard the initial word, the time this milk was first given to them. By this time, you ought to be teachers. That means they're not teachers. They should be teaching the word, but they're not. You need someone to teach you again the first principles, not the second one. We're not in 201 yet. We're still in 101. The first principles of the oracles of God, and you come to need milk and not solid food. They should be on it. He says that if you're on milk, then you're unskilled in the word of righteousness, not unskilled in anything else, the word of righteousness, the truth of it. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That, how did you become full age? By reason of use. Use of what? The things you've learned. You're being a doer, not just a hearer. Are you guys picking this up? This is all over the New Testament, but we've lost this somewhere. We always say the verse, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, but we never think about what it actually takes to do that. Because we, we say almost weekly, you hear me say, we've got to go into all the world and make disciples. We never ask, well, what's that going to take to do? How do I do it? What's it going to cost me? And what sacrifice am I willing to make in order to do that? We very seldom do that. What we do instead is like, yeah, that's great. You should do that. Some of us, we just, we, we, I mean, and I've met people like this, and this is okay, this is important, they'll fund things, right? Which is great. We need people that can do that, that can simply write a check and send somebody when they need it. That's fantastic. But you know what we also need? Those same people to get their hands dirty. Because writing a check does not excuse you away from the work of the ministry. Who does the work of the ministry? It's not the pastor. We do. It's you, Ephesians 4. Let's go Ephesians 4. It's just fun. Some of you guys haven't turned in your Bible this much in a long time. Ephesians 4. Let's look at verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. For what purpose? The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay, now... He gave five things, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, five of them. Did he say he gave them to go do the work of the ministry? It's not what it says there, but yet that is how we act. We chase some evangelists all over the country. I mean, I know people that have fallen, gone to the same guy's meetings in like all over the U.S. because there's something special about the guy. And sure, they may be gifted, that's great, but he's supposed to be equipping you. And the problem is we go in there and we get fed and then we're a bunch of fat babies that go home and like, boy, that was a great service. Can't wait till the next one. Instead of saying, hey, what can I do with this new nugget of information that I have and how can I use it to further the kingdom of God? 
Because many of us have gone out and prayed and said, Lord, I sure hope you come quickly because this world is getting bad. You know what's going to make that happen? Being a doer of the word. There's a time and a place where there's more people coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if we're not doing it, then how can we ever expect him to be able to come back? There's a problem here. We have such a disconnect in the church. Such a disconnect. And you know where it starts? It starts at home. You know where your greatest ministry is? Is with your children. Your children. And what do we do to prepare our children for the world? Right? We take them to church. We let them here have a nice little Sunday school lesson. They do some coloring. They get a craft. They eat a snack. And we take them home. And we might ask them, hey, what did you learn in church today? We might ask them. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. And I'm as guilty as this as anybody else. Believe me, okay? And then and they're like, oh, we learned this. Oh, okay, that's great. And then we don't talk about it for the rest of the week. We don't take time to go through the Bible with them and teach them what the Bible is, how it works, how we know what it is, all of that kind of stuff. We maybe read a verse or two with them and things like that. And that's it. We say our evening prayers. Does the Bible ever tell us to teach the word to our children? In a roundabout way, it kind of does. But what does it tell Let's go to Proverbs 22. I know this is weird. Stay with me. Don't throw stuff at me. You guys know this verse, Proverbs 22. You've heard it a million times. Some of you may have a bumper sticker, t-shirt, something. Maybe a tattoo, but I doubt it. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Right? This is like a Hallmark card type thing. This is stuff we preach this all the time. When our kids have left the church and left the faith and stuff, we cling to this verse, right? We're like, oh, God, I know you said if we train up the child. Here's the question. Is there a difference between teaching and training? It's a big difference, guys. Now, I, I got asked earlier this year if I would help out in the weight room. As many of you know, as a power lifter, I still kind of do it. Um, I got asked if I would help out in the weight room at the high school. And, um, and part of that, they just, they don't have anybody that can do it. They were looking for somebody. They don't have it in the budget to pay anybody. I was more than happy to do it. So I went there and I started working with about 10 kids specifically, some junior high and things like that. Now, here's what I didn't do. Okay. I want you to go over to the bench press. I want you to grab the bar. I want you to pull it down your chest. I want you to push it up and I want you to rack it. Okay. I could have just taught them how to do it. That's basically bench press in a nutshell, right? No, what I did is the first thing I did is I got up underneath the bar. And I showed them how you set up. I showed them where you position your feet. I showed them how you arch your back. I showed them how you pull your shoulder blades back. I showed them where you put your hands. I also told them why you put your hands there and what you're trying to do. Then I taught them how to engage all their other muscles in the process, how to breathe properly, how to take that weight, how you pull it down to your chest, where you touch on your chest. Then you put it back up, and then you rack it. Then I put them underneath of it. And then they did it. And then they did it wrong. So I stopped and said, no, no, no. Let's set up again. Let's do it again. What's the difference? One time I told them, another time I showed them. And then they screwed it up. So I showed them again. And then they screwed it up again. And then I showed them again. And I showed them again. And I showed them again. And after that, I kicked them out because I'm like, I'm done with you. I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. But, but here's the thing. There's a difference between teaching and training. Our kids have heard the word. I mean, we hear the, the, the verse, hearing comes, or faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you've got some guys that will just sit there, hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. You know what that verse is talking about? The salvation of the Jews. The, Hebrews 11. Hebrews, not, or excuse me, Hebrews 11 is talking about this faith is and all this other stuff. That's all great. But it's not just hearing. It's hearing for something specific. Salvation. So it's not like just regurgitating scripture is in alone. It's got to get into your heart. It's got to be who you are. 
So it's not just teach your children the Bible or teach them that we go to church on Sunday. It's train your kids. There's a big difference. I mean, anybody ever run a 5K, a marathon, anything like that? Show of hands. I'm putting my hands up as an illustration. Never done it. I'm not sure I would drive a 5K if you paid me to do it. Okay, nobody in here. Good. I have several. Well, okay, let's talk about Alora. She's not here. We'll pick on her. That's perfect, okay? Tell her I said this. We'll be texting or something. She's getting ready to do a Spartan race today. I think in Chicago, as a matter of fact. Does that sound right? No? Where is it? Oh, that's close. Maybe she'll drive through Chicago. I don't know. Okay, she drove through Chicago. That counts for something. I was half right. All right. Spartan Race. If you don't know what Spartan Race is, it is on TV. It is insanity, literally insanity, because you're running through, going through all these obstacles, carrying heavy things, all of this stuff. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Yeah. No, not so much. Right? Paul was giving me a hard time because, uh, you know, I was doing some weightlifting things and I was deadlifting. He's like, man, it gets that heavy. I grab the tractor. You know, yeah, that makes sense. But, but anyway... Alora didn't just read a book on how to run a Spartan race, okay? What you don't know about her is she trains every single day. In fact, you know what she told me she did for fun one time? She chased a rock down the road. Let me explain this. She picked up a heavy rock, threw it as far as she could, sprinted to that rock, picked it up again, and threw it again. Now, that's stupid, right? I mean, you've ever seen a dog like... Yeah, I know. You, you know it's stupid, right? Right, right. So it takes the big old track tire, lays it down, grabs the sledgehammer, and hits it. What are you trying to do? You're not going to break the tire. You're going to break you. Why is she doing that? She's training. She's getting prepared. Because you can't just go out there and do it. You can't just hear about what is involved in it. you got to go out in there and prepare to do it. Or when you go to actually do it, you're going to come up short. You're not going to be prepared. You guys, there's a big difference between hearing and doing. Big difference between hearing and doing. We're great hearers. We're terrible doing. Terrible. Terrible. And I say we, the body of Christ, we have lost the heart of God because we are not out there evangelizing. You know what we are good at? Gossip. And we're good about big game and talking about the move of God that happened back in the 80s. Why doesn't that happen anymore? Or the move of God that happened in the 90s. Why doesn't that happen anymore? All we want is what was in the past instead of pressing on to what God has in the here and now. You know what's amazing is that a lot of those pastors and stuff that were in those big moves of God in the 80s and 90s and stuff have now become teachers of the word. They're teaching the word. They're getting up there and they're training these people. Rodney Howard Brown's a perfect example of that. That guy's a complete 180 from where he was back in the late, early and late 90s. I mean, he is not in the same, he's not even doing the same stuff. In fact, he's almost government conspiracy type guy, which is kind of bizarre. I like it, but it's, you know, that's besides the point. But, and most of you guys may not even know who Rodney Howard Brown is, but I know some of you do. But he was a big deal back in the uh, late, or excuse me, mid 90s. Yeah, big deal. And so when we look at this, it's like, okay, why can't we have it the way it was? You guys, we quit doing all we wanted to do was sit in our chair and be fed. Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, Seymour, feed me. That's all we want. And yet that's not what we're told to do. We're supposed to come in, and then we lost the part of going out. We're going out with a purpose. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10. I promise I'm not going to keep you here all day. First Corinthians 10 gives us a principle that we live off of, okay? Verse 31. It says, therefore, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
That's talking about conscious sake, talking about, hey, you can eat this food, anything's clean that God calls clean and all this other stuff. But there's principle here. Is what, are, what are we doing? It all for the glory of God, right? So if we're eating, we do it for the glory of God. If we're drinking, we do it for the glory of God. That's the purpose here. Then we go into Colossians chapter 3. If I can get my pages to turn. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, so what does that include? Pretty much everything. Whatever you say and whatever you do, we give thanks to God. We do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let me ask you, are you doing that? Is everything that you say and do bringing glory to God? Verse 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Do we do that? You know, there's a lot of people that have worked jobs that they don't like and it bothers them and stuff. All they do is complain. They complain about the hours, they complain about the pay, they complain about whatever. You know, it's, it's amazing when you get somebody who does their work to the Lord that it changes their attitude because God's taking care of it. When I went down to Bible school down in Oklahoma, down to Rama, okay, big deal down there, everybody knows who it is. You know how hard it was for us to find a job because they hated hiring Rama students? You know why? They were lazy. Lazy. Yeah, you wouldn't think that, right? Well, they were hearers. They weren't doers. They always thought that they were some spiritual juggernaut, and that's why God had called them down there. And they go into their job, and they were the first one to leave, the last one to show up. And all of that, and I went to work for Coke. I started off the Sears. We got that job pretty easy. Things were good. I went to work for Coke. I wanted to work different hours. We worked full time the entire time. And so my boss hired me. He's like, I'm going to hire you. And he said, but I just want you to know there are expectations. And he said, you know, I had to go around and fill shelves. That's essentially what I did. He said, there are expectations. We've had a few Rama students, and we'll catch them in the back sleeping, you know, in the Walmart. I don't know how you do that, but that's what he said. Or here's one. They were stealing soda. Because, you know, a 12-pack of Coke is pretty, pretty much break-the-bank type of situation. Or, or because they thought this was okay, they would sit in the back and they would read their Bibles the entire time when they're on the clock. Someone's paying you to do that. He said, so I want you to know there are expectations. I said, well, that's not a problem. I mean, I've always worked. That's never been an issue. We never had any trouble. In fact, um, the day that I, I turned in my resignation, my two weeks when we are getting ready to move, that boss came up to me and said, I really wish you'd reconsider he said, because, you know, you stay three or four years, you'll be sitting in this office next to me. Why did he say that? Because I worked unto the Lord. Make me do whatever you want. I worked extra shifts. I did whatever I had to do, whatever they needed. I was willing to jump in there. I never once asked for a raise. In fact, my entire life, I've never asked for a raise. Never once. And all the jobs that I've had. And I was self-employed for many years. So if I asked for a raise, it really didn't go very far. It's like, hey. I'd always joke with people. It's like, I don't know if I can get time off. My boss is kind of a jerk, you know. You get that when you're self-employed. But anyway. But... That's true. That's true. Hey, 25% of nothing is still nothing. Yeah, that's exactly right. But, but here's the thing. I never once asked for a raise. I never complained about the hours. I never complained about the work. When they surprise stuff on you and say, hey, we need you to come in. I was the only one that was going to school full-time and working full-time. Everybody else was doing this on a part-time basis. And yet I never complained. Why? Because I was doing my work unto the Lord. And I wanted my light to shine before men that when they see me, they see God. And because of that, it opened several avenues to me. And the reason I'm talking about all of this being and doing and all this other stuff is for one reason, is that you and I have lost the heart of God because we don't share the gospel at all. There's two ways to do this. There's two ways to look at it. There's active evangelism and there's passive 
evangelism. You know, I used to travel around and I would do consulting work and I would teach some marketing stuff to some of these insurance agencies and things that I'd work with and stuff. And I teach them active marketing and passive marketing. Passive marketing are pens with your name on it, right? You're what they call branding, kind of. Active marketing is I'm sending you something direct with a response that I need from you in this situation. There's the difference. Active evangelism, passive evangelism. Passive evangelism is I'm living my life in a way that when people see me, they see him. Active evangelism is walking up to somebody and saying, hey, you're probably going to hell. You want me to help you fix that? Don't do that. But that's the gist of it. And there's a big difference. But which one is right and which one is wrong? And the answer is yes. They're both right. And they're both wrong depending on your approach. Because the problem is, is we beat ourselves up for two reasons. One, we read the book of Acts. And what do the apostles do? Paul, Peter, all those guys. They're active constantly active. You know who it doesn't talk about? The disciples that were made and what they did. Because these guys were evangelists in the sense that they went all over the country and the known world at that time, everywhere in that kingdom. They went all over there for one purpose. But not everybody is called to do that. Everybody else had to get up in that morning and go to work whatever that looked like back then. And, and take care of their household and whatever that looked like back then. A little different than it is today. And they would passively let their light shine so that when people would see them, when the storms came, how did they respond to the situation? When things didn't go the way they thought it should, how did they respond to the situation? But what happens with us is that well, because we're not super active in the fact we're not out there knocking on doors or we're not going up to people that we see in Walmart or things like that, we're like, well, we must not be doing evangelism right. There's a time and a place for that. Both are correct. But we have to start with letting our light shine. Where that becomes wrong is when that's all you do. When you never pivot that question. When you never say, hey, there's a reason I respond this way. And you guys can have this happen. I mean, there was a young man that had come to my house when they showed up out of the blue. I hadn't seen him in six years. But his cousin's wife had just left him. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know where to turn. He went to the only person he could think of that had any spiritual insight and came up and said, can you grab your Bible and come with me? And I went four and a half hours. I was at the guy's house. But why did he choose me? Because years ago, he saw the way that I responded, the way that I acted, the way that I carried myself. I hadn't seen him in years. But I wasn't active with him. It was, it was a passivity there. There's two roads to evangelism, but the bottom line is we need to be doing the word. If all you do is sit here and listen, then you're missing the point. If all you do is just get this book and read it and never do anything with it. There's a reason that in school when they, they hand you a math book, it's not just read it. You got to do the problems. You can read all you want about geometry. If you don't start writing down the, the formulas and how they work, you're never going to get it. You may not get it then. It's geometry for crying out loud. But the, the, the thing is, guys, is why don't we do this? In the body of Christ. We don't train up children. You know what we do with our kids? Is we, we immune them from situations. We don't allow them to make decisions for themselves. We protect them. We, we, we try to harness them. And we don't want the bad things to get to them. We don't want them to go through tough times. We're gonna, we want them to have the life that we didn't get to have when growing up. I mean, people say that all the time. You know? And the problem is, is we shouldn't be immuning them to this world. We should be inoculating them to this world. We should be preparing them because this world is all around them. And it's going to get dirty. It's going to smell bad. It's going to get all over you. 
But what do you do with it? How do you protect your child from that? You don't protect them by never allowing them to see it. You know what's a new study that's came out now? And I love this, is that maybe all this Purell is not a great thing. I just read something the other day. You should let your kids go play out in the dirt because all those germs and stuff get on and your body learns how to deal with it. What a concept, which is great for me because go play in the highway and just wave at the cars as they go by. I don't care, you know. I'm just kidding. I don't tell them to do that. But, I mean, it's like, hey, we've had this generation where we're just, we scrub all the time. Everything's clean. Got to be sterile and all of that. I fought a cocker spaniel for a steak one time and was prepared to eat it. He jumped up on the table, took my steak. I took it back. My wife threw it away when I wasn't looking, but I was going to eat it. I figured that the dog can lick a wound and it can heal a little cocker spaniel spit. Ain't going to hurt me none. Okay? But why? This, this, we, we've tried to immune our children. We've not trained our children. We may have taught them, but we've not trained them. And we try to protect them from anything bad happening to them. I know parents that still control their kid's life. In fact, I, I know one gal, she's probably now 25, 26, something like that, who to this, she's got two kids to this day, is living off her parents because they have continued to just allow her to be an idiot. In the lack of a better term, that's really what it is. She's gone to six different colleges. She still doesn't have a degree. She doesn't know what she wants to do. And so she keeps getting all this other stuff. And as long as mom and dad are still writing the checks, she can, can still continue to do that. And it makes you wonder, it's like, huh, maybe if you stopped, she would have to settle down. Maybe she'd have to straighten up. You know, the body of Christ was never meant to be insulated. We are to be out there getting dirty. Jesus was a perfect example. He was out there in with the lepers. He's talking to this Samaritan woman. He's doing all the things. That you ate with a tax collector. Bad. We all feel the same way. If IRS agent shows up, we're not inviting him to lunch, right? No, absolutely not. We'll send it to somebody's house we don't like. That's what we'll do. Hey, go knock on their door. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. I'm almost done. I know, and I'm stepping on my own too. (sighs) Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus, who is equal to God, humbled himself down, essentially giving God the glory for everything. And yet you and I, in our prideful state, want to make sure that all eyes are on us when we're doing the work of the Father. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. I grew up in church, and I remember there were arguments over, uh, and people completely offended because they didn't get to preach on a Sunday in a pulpit and things like that. Because they were more concerned with being seen or heard than who, they're concerned with who gets the credit instead of God getting the credit. We're too concerned with us. We look inner. We look inside of us. A couple more verses. 1 Peter chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. For he has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin. 
that he no longer should live as the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them, and the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason the gospel was preached also that those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another." as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion and forever. In all things that God may be glorified. All things. That's the good things. That's the bad things. That's the things that we do in secret. That all the glory goes to God. We've lost that. We've become hearers and not doers. We've become glory hogs and not turning that over, over to, to God where it belongs. There's a reason that we act different. There's a change that's inside of us. That when we give to a cause that hurts, it shouldn't be because I want everybody to know that I'm, I'm a supporter of this or things like that. It's because there's a need and God has enabled us to be able to meet that need. When we go and pray for people, there should be a certain expectation of God doing something. But it's not for us. It should be for Him. I went to a hospital visitation a while back, and quite a year ago. And I knew this gal for many years, and she just passed away. She passed away right before I'd gotten there, um, as a matter of fact. And this gal had come in who had known her, and this is one of these people, it's, it's somebody seeking for glory. And she's like, I was in here earlier, and we were just worshiping the Lord together and, and, and stuff, and I was leading worship for her, and, and I helped take her into the presence of God. I know that I did, and all this. I mean, it was all about her. It was all her, 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 you know, that she was doing this and all of that other kind of stuff. And I'm sitting here thinking, because I knew both of these people, and I knew the one that had just passed couldn't stand the one who was singing. So I'm sitting there thinking, huh, maybe that's why she died. I got to get out of this. I got to go. I, I can't. No, I'm just kidding. That's terrible. Father, forgive me. Okay. Here's the deal, guys. But what, what was she doing? She was seeking the glory for herself. It wasn't what I can do for you. I watched a guy in a church dinner one time. He, this guy did nothing in the church. I mean, if this chair needed to be moved from here to here and he was sitting here, he'd be like, hey, who's going to move this chair? I mean, because he wasn't going to lift it. But at this church dinner, he grabbed a pitcher of water. He's walking around filling glasses. And I'm sitting there like, well, I've never seen this before. This was not here, just so you know. And he's like, I just love to serve. I love to serve. I love to serve. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, when did this start? This is new. You know, I mean, it's just all this stuff. What was he doing? He's seeking glory for himself. All the glory belongs to God, guys. All of it. Not some of it. All of it. When you evangelize, you guys don't hear me tell a lot of stories about the things that are going in this town unless they are pertinent to something else because I am out every day letting my light shine. And when the opportunity is there, I pivot those conversations to the gospel. I talk to people on a daily basis. We are in the community as a church. I am doing it as the face of Grace Church, not because I am the pastor, because I am part of the body. Okay? So it's not just me, it should be all of us. 
But I'm out there because I've got the time and we've got the ability and we're getting things going for a certain reason. But the bottom line of this is God's going to receive the glory. It is not about me. I don't want anybody to know that. If, if I ever leave this place and God takes me somewhere else, I want you guys to be able to continue on without a hitch. And almost like I had never left and like I was never here because God is the one who gets the glory, not me. I don't want the glory. I want him to get the glory. I want it to always be about him because the second it becomes about me, now my motives are impure and then we don't have the heart of God. The Holy Spirit was sent by the Father for you and I as a comfort, as a teacher, the one that leads us in all truth but what does he do he gives glory to the son it's the same power and spirit that is in us that raised christ from the dead pretty much he can do whatever he wants but where does he send the glory not to himself what did jesus do on this earth hey don't look at me it's the father what do we do look what i did we blasted on Facebook how great we are. We're hearers. We're not doers because we've lost the heart of God. We go out there and we try to evangelize and just letting our light shine. That's important. Don't get me wrong. But at some point, you've got to open your mouth and tell them the truth. If you love them, then you'll tell them the truth. You have to. And sometimes it hurts. But there's a thing here. And I want to show you one last verse in John chapter 3. Janet read out a part of this this morning. Imagine that, Janet. We know John 3, 16. We know all this is Nicodemus he's talking to, things like that. I'm going to start in verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. does believe in Jesus. His faith is not in Jesus. Okay, I want to make that clear. Okay? Because he's not, he's talking to Nicodemus, he's talking to all the people. They don't, they're not arguing whether Jesus existed, right? Because he's there talking to them. Okay? If I'm talking to you and you say, I don't believe in Chris, that doesn't mean you don't believe I exist. You guys following me? Okay? If I said I don't believe in words, it's a contradiction, right? Because I use words to tell you I didn't believe in words. You guys make sense? Some people try to just do weird things with this. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to that light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. He does the truth. You guys, you guys see what I'm saying? When we're out there and we're talking to people and we're, we're sharing in that, these people love the darkness and the truth of the word exposes that. And what does he say? They love it. They love the darkness. They hate the light. They're not passively, I just don't want any light around. They hate the light because it exposes them. But when you become this doer of the word, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and now you, have done, you do the truth, your deeds are clearly seen that they have been done in God. In God, guys, in God. We have got to become doers and not hearers only. And I say that out of love because I do love you guys dearly. But we can't be so passive. It breaks my heart doing funerals. I hate doing funerals. You know why? Because a life has been taken many times too short, right? And when I don't personally know them, I have no idea. Did they know the Lord? I mean, they may say, yeah, and maybe they did. I don't, I don't know. I can't say. 
So there's always that question. Just this week, Alora had to go on a call where a man had a heart attack, and as she's trying to revive the guy, the wife's sitting there, is he going to be okay? Is he going to be okay? Is he going to be okay? And they couldn't do anything for him. He was gone. And these folks were Jehovah's Witnesses. So you know what that means. It's hard. And it happens every day. And the question always comes down, did I do enough? Did I say enough? I can't beat myself up. The results are God's. But did I plant that seed? Did I water that? Did I do anything there? And sometimes, guys, people just love the darkness. And they're not going to receive the light. And that's okay. But the bottom line, are we doing the word? Doing the word looks more than just sharing the gospel. Doing the word also lays hands on the sick. We don't do that either. You know what we kind of do? And we're going to get into this in the next series here, in the next two or three weeks, talking more about the new man and what that means. But, but when we lay hands on somebody, we're praying, God, we thank you that your healing power is here. We command that sickness to go, whatever we say. you know. So, but what we really are thinking is like, you're kind of open one eye, really hope this works. We put our faith in healing instead of the healer. Putting your faith in healing, you'll be disappointed every time because it is faith in God. You guys with me? You guys understand? You guys see where we're at? We've got a mission here. Every once in a while, the Lord puts something like this on my heart because I think he's trying to get all of our attention, including me. We get so bogged down in the day-to-day deals and stuff like that. I mean, I'm telling you what, I get done on a Sunday, and I swear I wake up the next day, and it's Sunday again. It's like, where did the time go? But the bottom line, guys, is that we have an opportunity here. Not just a command, it's an opportunity. There are people that we know and love in this community that are not in a right relationship with God. And are we doing the word or are we just playing church? We've got to do 